Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Let's read Numbers 27, verse 12 and following. Are you ready? 12 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, go up this mountain and see the land I have given to the Israelites, verse 13. After you've seen it, you too will be gathered to my people as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both you diso- both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin. Verse 15, Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and to come in before them. Would you say, verse 17, to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd, verse 18. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand upon him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him. Do what to him? Commission him in their presence. Verse 20, give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of Israel will go out And at his command, they will come in. Verse 22, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar, the priest and the whole assembly, then laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. The hour that we live in, the prophets saw far off and we are actually living in them. And we don't take for granted knowing fully that tomorrow might not ever come. We're not promised tomorrow, we have this moment. And I would to God that you would touch every soul here today. I pray that you would touch every man and every woman, every boy and every girl, that you ignite our hearts in holy passion and purpose to fulfill what you've called us to do in this hour of history. I pray that even as we talk about this commissioning, as we preach your word, that you'd hide me behind your cross yet again. And that you would burn faith in the hearts of each and every person here, including my own. Thank you for what you did in the first service. Thank you for what you'll do now and even in the future for those that listen. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands together for God and you may be seated. I am more in touch with my mortality than I have ever been. At 56 years old, I feel like I'm 25. But in fact, I am 56 and I know that that's young. How many of you know that's young? Even if you don't agree, I know. So that's what matters. Amen. I'm going to go for 120 years preaching, praying, prophesying. I am not preaching this text or this message to you because I'm going to be passing on the baton to some younger buck at this, at this stage. But there will come a time when I will then pass the baton and God will raise up people from our own midst. How many of you know you can't pastor 100 years? You better pass it on or you'll be pastoring a dead church. 
because everybody in it would be dead. You'll be dead. You have to, there has to be another generation. So what I've learned and I'm very aware of is at 56, it's very important that I preach and teach and empower you and equip you and the generations. God is moving in power in the back part of that building with over 200 kids that'll come through this place. Believe me, you, we're not playing tiddlywinks. They're learning the word back there. And it's not just, it's not, you know, just watching, watching the kids so that you can experience God's word and experience his presence and learn and grow in God. No, we're making disciples from little children back there. That's what has to happen. That's one of the reasons we're starting the school. It's one of the, it's one of the reasons we do everything that we do. It's not just to children and it's not just youth. We're having a great move of God in the youth. Our youth group is more than doubled. It'll go on to double again and double again and double again. It's been on Friday nights. We're going to move it to a Wednesday. We will move in our new building in the next 45 days by the grace of God. Come on, somebody say amen. So we're excited about all that's happening and it is a multi-generational move of God. And when you look in scripture, you will see that very thing taking place. And that is what happens here in this text, which we'll look at in just a moment. I've been preaching a series called Getting Ready for the Harvest. Everybody say, get ready for the harvest. Come on, make a declaration. Try it again. Ready, set, go. Get ready for the Get ready for the harvest. I uh, went fishing this summer a few times. I would have liked to have gone more. Uh, but recently I went fishing. It wasn't dip netting. I did get to go dip netting also. The same is true whether you're throwing a line in the water or whether you're going dip netting or whether you're a commercial fisherman. You have to get ready to go. If you're in a boat, you have to have fuel. You got to make sure your boat's good. You got it all set. It's got to be licensed. Got to have your license to fish. You gotta have your, gotta have your permit to dip net. Come on, somebody. And so we were gonna go fishing conventionally in the the canine shuffle, is what we call it. It's, I was with an angler, and I, I didn't say a fisherman. I said an angler. That's different. That's somebody who knows how to like fly fish and work a river, and that's different than doing the canine shuffle. The canine shuffle is like, is some people don't even call it fishing. It's flossing. It's a very special way of, of, of snagging a fish in its mouth. If it's not snagged in the mouth, it's illegal. So I, it, took me, it took me years to figure it out. I, I, I might have learned just a little bit now. I had to get my, my, my fishing poles ready. I had to check my line. And I'm, you're supposed to replace your line every year. And I don't do that. I do it every two years. But I had to get ready. I'm telling you, I prophesy in agreement with Gustavo Paez and with so many others that there is coming a deluge of souls into this church. It has already happened. It's already begun. We currently are about 1,900 people. You want to know how large the church is? It's about 1,900. You say, in this building? I know, right? It's amazing. 1,900 people call this place home, come at least once a month. That's not counting online. And what will 1,900, 1,900 souls, we know their names. And we do everything we can to follow up and to, and to make sure that people are pastored and cared for. We want to know your name. We want to personally care for you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to mourn with you, unfortunately. But death is a, is a part of the cycle of life and celebrate birth and, and marriages and weddings. And that we're doing life together. There will come a doubling to our church. We will move very quickly. Please hear me from 1900 to 4,000 people. You say, how's that going to happen? The same way the 1900 happened. One by one, one family at a time. So currently there would be no way for us to manage that kind of growth. So what are you going to do? I'm going to do what they did in this text. We're going to do right here. We're going to commission. Everybody say amen. 
The sun rises and sets on leadership, as uh, John Maxwell said. And with strong leadership, organizations flourish. With strong leadership, nations flourish. One of the greatest needs in our world today is leadership. I'm writing the notes now, is leadership. If you don't have a strong leadership in the home, then the homes will be destroyed. Marriages will be destroyed. Ma'am, you need to be a strong leader. Sir, you need to be a strong leader. Single people, you need to be strong. We need strong leaders in government. We need strong leaders in education. We need strong leaders in every area of life, in business, in the church. If you look at churches across America or just look at church history, you'll see that God would put his hand on a pastor, put his hand on a pastoral team perhaps, and God would pour out a spirit. There's some great examples here in Alaska. And then when that leader passes away or unfortunately some leaders fail, and they have to be removed. But when that leadership falls or falters in some way, or maybe the baton's not passed, Moses is going to die. But in this text, he's not dead yet. And Joshua is going to be the new leader. And in those churches or those businesses or those families where leadership fails or, 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 or passes, and there's not a passing on of authority, not a passing on of the mantle, if you will, not a passing on of that leadership, then very soon that family, that business, that church, and I can give you multiple examples in Alaska alone where churches were thriving, planting churches all over the world, and they no longer exist, or they exist at a fraction of what they used to be. Why? Because of leadership. Leadership is very, very important. In fact, it's crucial. Back in your notes now, without the appropriate leadership, things don't get done. And organizations, once strong, deteriorate quickly. Leadership. So a look at this text. And this text is so important to Israel in their history to continue on. Moses is going to die. And without a strong leader, they're not going to fulfill the mandate upon their life. They're not going to walk into the promised land that God has for them if they don't have a strong leader. You know, God announces to Moses, you're going to die. <laughs> Your death is imminent. But before he dies, he allows him to see Canaan's land, which is so profound because it's a, a prophetic act that it's a prophetic act that Israel would possess the land. And we, we find out why he's not able to go in. And it, it, it's shocking to me because you look at Moses. I mean, all the things that Moses did, he's the most humble person in all of history, says the word of God. There was no other man more humble than Moses. And yet he's not allowed to go in. And the reason he's not allowed to go in, mm, at a place called Kadesh Barnea, God speaks to him and they need water. And God speaks to him and tells him, speak to the rock. But when he comes out, he's so embittered, he's so angry. Moses had an anger problem. One of the keys to understanding why Moses, was, Moses disqualified himself is to understand what happened at Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is the very place that he sent the 12 spies out. So they're back there and he's got PTSD. Can I say it that way? He's there at a place where he, the, the 10 came back with a bad report and two, which we're gonna talk about them, Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. But because of the bad report, he couldn't go in and he had to wait 40 more years for all of their carcasses to fall in the desert. And he's back at that exact same place, if you go and study this out. And in this text, in Numbers 27, the Lord says, you did not honor me before the people. And so as a result of that, 
you don't get to go in. But he brings him up and he allows him to see the promised land. Now that's amazing. Dr. Yonggi Cho wrote a book called The Fourth Dimension. I would encourage every single person here to get it. It's learning to walk in faith. It's learning to see it before you have it. Faith sees into the invisible and believes and then it's manifested into the earth. If you don't learn to walk by faith, you'll never see miraculous things happen. And so Moses is brought up by the Lord and even though he's disqualified, he shows him the promised land. It reminds me of Abraham on the third day. He saw the place afar off. He's going to sacrifice Isaac at the command of the Lord. The Lord's just testing him. He doesn't know that. They say that Sarah's so freaked out at the sacrifice of, uh, of, of Isaac that she dies. She dies right here in the life of Abraham and Sarah. She's so like, my gosh, you're, you're, you're sacred. I know you're going to do it because you're obedient to the Lord. You believe God and it's accredited unto you as righteousness. So he goes up with the, the fire and the knife and Isaac. But before he goes up that mountain, the text says there in Genesis, he saw the place afar off. On the third day, he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. If you were here during the Perry Stone meetings, he alluded and talked a little bit about that. And I've taught you about it as well. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. What Jesus, I believe, is referring to is the moment when Abraham saw the place. The Hebrew word is merahuk. It's it saw the place afar off, but it can also mean saw something of God afar off in the future. And so that very place, the Mount Moriah, is that is the Temple Mount. That is the very place where Jesus would be crucified. Isaac, take your only son, your one and only son, as he says to Abraham, Isaac, and sacrifice him on one of the mountains that I show you. That is the Temple Mount. Listen, you can't make that stuff up. The Word of God is so rich and so incredibly intricate and profound. And if once you discover and study it for your whole life, it'll still unfold greater truths yet still. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing three quarters of the New Testament, when he's dying, he asks for John Mark to bring the scrolls. He's going to die. Why would he keep studying? Because the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will empower you. It'll do something, and you're going to live forever, so you best learn it. Amen. And so Abraham saw the place. He brings Moses up to see the promised land. It's this prophetic act. And he says, you're not going in, but you can see it. And the other thing that's profound with this passage is that Moses doesn't die right away. He doesn't die right away. He, he lives for some months after. And it is rather profound. In seeing the, the promised land and the prophetic fulfillment before his eyes, and then hearing from God, he's going to die. He realizes, oh boy, oh God, we have a problem. Because if I'm not here, there better be somebody at the helm. Because who's going to lead this people? And he begins to intercede back in your notes now. He cries out in prayer. It does remind me of Jesus when he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest, and he thrust forth labors. Do you know that the degree that prayer is released is the degree that labors will be released? Prayer, prayer and the release of workers into the harvest field is contingent. They're together. They're connected. There's connectivity there. One of the reasons you see so many leaders, and one of, you, one of the reasons you see us growing at this incredible rate, which is humbling for all of us, is because there's a people that are praying. We've had a 20 plus year prayer meeting right here every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
And there's been as few as three people. I remember that. Where's Minister Micah? There's been as many as three when we first got here, four, maybe five. I found that people that were faithful in prayer, their lives explode and, and, and God releases incredible blessings for those who pray. And our prayer meeting now is maybe 40 to 50 people. It's gone as high as 80. The reason we're able to build that building, the reason we're here today, the reason that God has released so much to us and entrusted because we cry out. Oh, it's the mercy of God. Come on, won't you cry out for a moment? We cry out for our families. We cry out for leaders. We cry out for Joshua's. We cry out for people, God, to come and take their place, to be commissioned. And so that's what Moses does. He cries out to God. It's profound. And he asks for a successor, and God, God chooses one. And, and look, at, look at your text with me. A person who would lead the army. His successor had to be a person that would lead the army. Now, some say, I read this, I don't know if it's true, that Joshua was in the army of Pharaoh, so he was trained that way. I don't know. It doesn't say. We don't know for sure. But it had to be a person that could lead the army. Why? Because you can have some battles ahead. So you better have a military leader. It had to be a person that could settle, settle them in their, in their homes, go out and bring them in. Everybody say, bring them in. It's a picture that not only are you going to go out and they're going to feed all of the, of the, uh, of the Canaanites, but bring them in as a picture of settling in to their new homes. It's a beautiful picture, a pastoral picture. And unless he had the right leaders found, the people would be like sheep without a shepherd. And he prays that. And God chooses Joshua, the son of Nun. Why would he choose Joshua? We'll talk about that in a second. But I love the fact that it's the son of Nun. It's not an a Nun. It's the last, guy, the last name. Nun. The son of Nun. Why would he say Joshua, the son of Nun? I love it because it's an acknowledgement of fathers. It's an acknowledgement of family. It's an acknowledgement that Joshua was the son of Nun, and the son of Nun raised him in such a way. It's an acknowledgement. And of course, it would mean that, you know, also acknowledging the whole family as acknowledging the head of the family. How many of you know he had a mother also? It's a beautiful picture of family and that he's the son of Nun. I just, I just like it, and I wanted to emphasize that for a moment. So he chooses Joshua, and Moses commissions him there. And one of the, there's a number of fascinating things as we look at this text, and then I'm going to apply it to our life. So before you think I'm just teaching you the Old Testament, we'll close in a, in a nice word of prayer and go home. I never do that. I, I, I do the nice prayer, and then we will go home. I'm not going to wear you out. But my favorite way of preaching to you, if you've been around for any length of time, is to bring the Old Testament, which is a picture book of New Testament reality. What is the Old Testament? A picture book of New Testament reality. It's to take Old Testament truth, tie it into New Testament reality, and bring it to your life to change you. This text has affected me greatly. He brings Joshua, he commissions him, he brings him and presents him before the high priest and the entire assembly. And what I think is amazing about that also is that Joshua was not going to walk in the full authority of Moses at this time. He's not ready. But, and yet he's commissioned and there's this baton passing, but you'll, you'll see that it lingers for a period. It's a beautiful picture of transition, a beautiful picture of, of change and leadership change and the right way to do things. You don't just do things abruptly. There's this training and bringing, and it's also a picture of a team. You see, because Moses talked to God face to face, but Joshua didn't talk to God face to face, except for one instance, which I'll refer to in just a moment. 
So Moses would talk to God face to face as a man talks to a man. But the text, the word of God says that God doesn't talk to everybody that way. But he did talk to Moses that way. And so he, he tells him, Moses, you have a priest who's going to hear from God for you. The prophetic gift that's on my life, Joshua, says Moses, is that it's, not, it's different for you. God talks to me face to face, face to face, but now you have a priest. You have a pastor now. Now, how many of you know that the anointing in the Old Testament on the on prophets, kings, and priests is upon every single believer here? The priesthood of all believers, says, says uh, Martin Luther out of the book of Romans. Everyone here can hear God's voice. So don't, I remember picking somebody up, a hitchhiker as long ago, I don't usually do that anymore, but I picked up a hitchhiker and he started telling me about these chosen vessels in his church. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, these guys, they hear from God. I'm like, yeah, everybody's supposed to hear from God. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, yes. Show, show him in the word, proved it to him. He disagreed. I said, you're part of a cult. You should get out of it as soon as you can. Let me pray for you. Everyone, don't, everyone can hear from God. There are unique gifts like a Gustavo Paez, a different ones, but we all still, still yet, we prophesy in part. And any prophetic word you get from anybody, you weigh that because you'll stand before God for your own life. And they'll stand before you who, who gave it to you. But it's fascinating that he's presented to the high priest and not just the high priest, the entire assembly. They're like, here is your new leader. This is the new leader. It, it really is something. The text goes on to say that he will, he'll make uh, decisions for you. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 28, and I, I want to talk about this for just a moment because it is a, a bit of a mystery, and it might help some of you. We read it. He'll make decisions for you. Verse 21, look at verse 21, but you're also going to Exodus 28. Let me read verse 21 of Numbers 27. Numbers 27, verse 21. He is to stand before Eleazar, the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim. The what? Urim. Would you say that with me? The what? The Urim. In Exodus 28, follow this now. In Exodus 28 and verse 30, also put the Urim and the Thermomim in the breastplate so there will be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. It's a fascinating, a fascinating study when you look at the Urim and the Thurman. Urim comes from the word Arar, meaning to curse or no. First service didn't get this. I got more time, so I'm going to break, roll it out a little bit. Urim comes from the word Arar, which means no or to curse. And Thurmamim comes from the word Tamar, which should be perfect or yes. And there's a lot of argument on or discussion about what actually would happen with these. Some people say they're stones or jewels. And there's a, there's a text, Exodus 28, 30. You shall put them upon the oracle of judgment, the Urim and Thurmim. And it seems that they're jewels. And the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, also seems to call them jewels. So there's these two stones. Now you have on the breastplate the 12 stones of the tribes of Israel. But these two stones, it seems that maybe they'd be in this pocket behind the breastplate. I mean, you, you really got to, it, it's intense and, and it's worth studying. But the good news is we have something far better than the Urim and the Thermament. I got like two amens and some of you are like, what is he talking about? To continue on, the Urim and the Thermament, one mean yes, one mean no. They say that one would glow. One of the stones or jewels would glow. And that would be like, should we go off to battle? And it'd be yes. 
Should we go to battle? No. Is this the time? And then it'd be like, wait. You get like both. Another, another mystery that would take place, and uh, there's different writings about that. We don't really know. We'll know when we get to heaven, I guess. But they would hold the breastplate up before the lamp of the Lord, which tribe should go, and the, and the jewel of Judah would be like, and they would know, oh, Judah goes first. I mean, that's all kind of cool. That's neat. Come on, somebody think, think that's neat. I think it's neat. The good news is you don't need no ermamen, thermamen, and you don't need jewels either. I would highly advise you don't roll the dice or look at bones. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. That, that, they didn't have that. You have that. Come on, somebody say, I got it. I got it. Something about the Holy Ghost. Got it in my hands. I got it in my, I got it. I got it. All right. We have the Holy Spirit. In fact, you see in the book of Acts when they need to replace Judas, they're not sure who to pick, so they cast lots. That is the very last time that they use a, any kind of a system like that because they are filled with the Holy Spirit and now God speaks to them personally. Come on, that's, that's amazing. Come on, somebody say, thank God he speaks to us. And so Moses was to commission or charge or command him before the people. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. It's a corollary text. Woo! We're getting somewhere today. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Man, I love the word. Anybody else love the word? Deuteronomy 31 and verse 1. And Moses went out and spoke these words to all of Israel. I'm now 120 years old and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. Don't you wish God had just given him a second chance? You know, sometimes you don't get a second chance. Sometimes that's it. And because you fail, you will not fulfill the... the and the God can turn it all for good. I said God can turn it all for good, but there's, there's instances where it wouldn't have been... It wasn't God, he's going to turn it for good, but it's not going to be what it was. It'd be something different. You shall not cross the Jordan. Verse 3, and the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you'll take possession of their land. How many of you know what the promised land means? Well, it means heaven, Pastor. Well, that's good. That's good. I think we would agree that it means heaven. But, it, but it's more than that. If we were just supposed to die and go to heaven, you'd be dead. The second you were born again and received Jesus in a real way, you would croak. Your carcass would lie there and you'd go straight to heaven. Now, that's not God's plan. Yeah, God's plan for you to be born again, but then he leaves us here. Why? To commission us. Why? So that we can raise up an army of, of God-fearing, blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled believers that will tell the nations, every tribe and every tongue to go into all the world and make disciples. That's what God does. He calls us to do something for him. Got excited for a second. Go down to verse 8 of Deuteronomy 31. The Lord himself will go before you. He'll be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The promised land for us means all of God's promises. It means fulfilling destiny. It means fulfilling purpose for our family, for individually, corporately. It means taking the nations. It means reaching the lost. It means healing. It means every prophetic word fulfilled. It means the promises of God 
fulfilled in your life. Heaven, yes, and fulfillment in the earth now, and rewards and on and on. It's all of that. The promised land is a picture of leaving Egypt, bondage, sin, the world, slavery, leaving Egypt, going into the promised land, freedom, power, provision, grapes so big, my God, the blessing of God. Come on, somebody say the promise means the blessing of God. And the, and, the, and the promised land also means for us in related to New Testament believers today. It means heaven, but it means fulfilling everything that God has for you. I want to fulfill everything God has for me. Is there anybody else? He says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You know, one, one of the, the two things that the enemy uses to keep people from, in, from possessing their inheritance. There's an inheritance for you but you have to go get it. You have to take it. God won't do it for you. He empowers you. He gives you tools. And then you have to partner with God. You have to believe God. Discouragement and fear are the two things that'll keep you from possessing what God has for you. If you get discouraged, you won't won't see it come to pass. And if you get afraid, if if you yield to fear, man, fear is one of the number one things the governments of this world are spraying all over the place. That stupid pox out there now, or whatever it's called. I called it stupid pox because you're just going to come up with some other kind of pox. I'm, I, I, when I die, I'll go and meet the Lord, but I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to wring my hands. I'm never going to close. We, we didn't close, but even what we did, I'm not doing that again. We're going to remain faithful to what God called us to do. I will not yield to fear. Oh, what if we don't make it? Doubt your doubts. What if you do? Fear and discouragement will try to attack you. And the, and the Lord says, the Lord says, don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go to, go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Now this is, this is so profound. Because God comes, uh, Deuteronomy, go to Deuteronomy 31, go to verse 23. This is my brother, Chris. Chris, would you play Moses for me? You are my older brother, after all. If you would be Moses, I'm going to be God, okay? All right. <laughs> and uh, Daniel, would you, would you be Joshua, please? So when God's speaking to, to Moses, he's telling him, I've answered your, answered your prayer. I've raised up Joshua. And Joshua's there. You go look at the context. Joshua's right there. Don't go anywhere, boys. Look what he says in verse 23. I want to read it to you. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, the son of Nun. So what he, what's happening is he's talking to Moses. He says, I've answered your prayers. Joshua, you're going to pick him, blah, blah, blah. God talks to Moses face to face, and then he looks at Joshua. That's intense. And he says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Can you imagine being Joshua? <laughs> okay. It was, put your hands together for these guys. It was Moses, but now it's God speaking directly to Joshua. That's profound. That's a heavy thing. Can you imagine? Wow. Be strong and courageous. You go read the book of Joshua. He tells him again, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and very courageous. Three times he tells him, you get the idea that he's terrified. He commissions him. And Moses is to give him a measure of authority. You know, I've learned this, that when you're raising up leaders, you don't give them, you don't give them carte blanche. You test them. I said, you test them. 
you give them a measure of authority. And if somebody can't be faithful with the measure of authority they have, they sure ain't going to be faithful with that, which is more. If you can't be faithful in the little things, God will never make you ruler over much. Man will. Satan will. Satan will be sure that you're made ruler over much. So you kill a lot of people when you come into that stronghold of lust, greed, pride, and it destroys you. And then you wipe out a lot of people. He loves to do that. That's why we've had people come and say, I'm supposed to lead worship. That's nice. Here's a toilet brush. Let's get to work. Go to the Discover Track. Not relating the Discover Track to a toilet brush, but the point is, yeah, I'm called to do this thing. Awesome. Go through this, go through the system, go through the Discover Track, learn about, learn about the vision, find out what we're, come on, we, somebody say, I want to lay hands on people. I'm anointed to lay hands on people. I'm glad. But we don't know where your hands have been. And until we discover where your hands have been, make sure they're clean. Then we won't be letting you lay hands on people in here. I've had, I've had people prance in here with tights looking like Peter Pan. Oh, I'm not even kidding. I'm, I'm serious. Praying. We were praying for people and came in. This is probably 10 years ago. Came in. I'm not sure if he had tights on. Might have been skinny jeans. Same thing. Anyway. He comes skipping in like this and he just starts laying hands on people. And he's like, and I'm up here, I'm like, stop that man. You anybody know what I'm talking about? We don't allow that. He said, well, I'm, I'm anointed to pray for the sick. I'm so glad and, and you should, and you should pray for your dog and you should pray for people and all that. But in here, we've got structure. Let me have a prophetic word. That's awesome, what is it? I can't tell you. And wrong answer. There's a submission. There's an understanding. There's a growing. And there's a measure of authority he gives to Joshua. I'm so glad that I had a pastor that loved me enough to put a bit in my mouth. You know what I mean? I mean that in the best way. That taught me just to just, just, oh, whoa. Take it easy. And yet at the same time, not crush, crush me and allow for the zeal of the house of the Lord to still be in me, but not give me so much I to kill myself and destroy myself, spiritually speaking, or maybe even otherwise. And I knew, I knew all those years ago, Pastor Karen and I knew we were going to be the new, new youth pastors. We were going to have an amazing revival. And then they picked somebody else. And I got so offended, proving the fact that I actually wasn't ready to take the position. And actually, and when I'm offended that I'm not the new new youth pastor, the Lord's like, you're not ready. I'm like, yes, I, shoot. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, I can handle it. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And you go through these tests and then, my God, come on, somebody lift your hands to heaven and say, Lord, I trust your leadership. Come on, say it again, say, Lord, I trust your leadership. You know, some of you think you should be in charge of whatever you're in. Well, listen, if you should be in charge, then you would be. How about just serve faithfully? You know, Joshua didn't do what he did so that he could become the next Moses. And finally, we see that he lays hands on him in the text. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 34. Made an error in the first service. It said Deuteronomy 33. It's Deuteronomy 34. Go there. Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9. This is so profound. They lay hands on him. Now in scripture, Old Testament and new, you'll see they lay hands. There's a negative connotation about laying hands. That would be getting arrested. And they laid hands on him and they put him in the jail. That's being arrested. That's what you don't want. Some of you experienced that. You don't want that. 
The other kind of laying on of hands is an impartation for leadership. There's a transference, even with the scapegoat, the scapegoat called Hazalil, I think it is, and they would lay hands on the goat and transference of guilt and shame would be put on the goat and they would send the goat out, all a type of Christ, all of it types and shadows of Christ. And the Bible says in the New Testament, they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Not they may recover, they will or shall. They, they will definitely recover. That's what the text says. Now, how many of you know everyone recovers that's born again? Everyone. When? Sometimes when you get to heaven, other times when you're here. But if you have a sickness and a disease, we contend, we fight for now, for you to be healed now. And, and we don't understand why some get healed later in heaven. But still we contend for the fullness of it now. And so in Deuteronomy 34, look at this. Now Joshua, verse 9, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. What? In other words, he was dumb as a box of rocks. Now he wasn't, but I'm just using it to emphasize my point. He was stupid until Moses laid his hands on him. Now, he wasn't stupid, but understand what I'm saying is that Moses laid his hands on him, and as a result of having hands laid on him, power was released, and a spirit of wisdom was released that would not have happened had he not had hands laid on him. That's why I'd answer every single altar call when I was coming up. I gave my heart to Jesus, and then I just answered every altar call, not for salvation, because I began to understand, oh, once you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're born again. You don't need to do that every week. Hello? Okay, if you backslide every week, you need to some real discipleship. You haven't actually really repented yet. And so I would come to the front because I'm like, I need help. I, I, need, I need healing. I've got thoughts. I used to have violent images going through my mind all the time. I got set free. I didn't know it was a demon. It was a demon. Some of you were tormented. You don't have to be tormented. You ought to do the tormenting. You know what I'm saying? You ought to be known in heaven and feared in hell. When you wake up in the morning, like, oh, it's him again. It's her again. Oh, what are they going to do now? Run like a scalded dog. I, 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 I. They laid hands on him. And I, I deeply and strongly confirm to you that you should have hands laid on you and you should be prayed for. And I want to tell you that in many places, they don't even do it anymore. And I don't know how you get away from that. It is absolutely an elementary, it's ele elementary school. The book of Hebrews calls the laying on of hands elementary. Well, we don't want, to, we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. They're already uncomfortable with their demons. Why don't you set them free? How about that? Well, we don't want people to think you're weird. You are weird, but you know, we can be supernaturally natural. I was, I was over in uh, Amarillo, and, uh, or Amarillo, depends where you come from, and uh, they have one of their taglines of their vision statement is having a move of the spirit that's not weird or something like that. I don't know why we even need to say that, but I'm glad that they're doing that. We, we try to have a balance here. I'm teaching you the word. Come on, just a couple more moments on our services concluded. But you need the power of God in your life. I said, you need the power of God in your life. And there's certain things that will not happen unless you have prayer over you. And I understand the Holy Spirit can come when, when someone's preaching. They don't have to lay hands on you. But by all means, it is a biblical thing. Come on, is any of you sick among you? Let them call upon the elders of the church. It's a good reason to have a church. How are you going to call on someone that you don't have? You ought, you ought to have a pastor. Pastor, elder, synonymous. They'll anoint with oil and the prayer of faith. will save that sick person. The Lord will heal them and raise them up. So... 
He lays hands on, on Joshua and he's filled with wisdom. I remember having hands laid on me when I became a pastor. It was dramatic. And what I mean by dramatic is I shook for a long time and I went home that night. Everything was different. I would relate it to maybe someone who had a near-death experience and then when you wake up and you can see how green the grass is and you can hear the birds, people that people have had heart attacks and come back and experience things like that, they have a deep appreciation and they're just, they're just quickened to everything. They're like, they just want to hug and kiss everybody. You know what I'm talking about? It was like that. I woke up in my house in Kula and I went out to my little porch and there's birds flying by and rainbows and I'm just like, wow. And the Lord's like, I've called you and anointed you. I'm like, yes. Ah. And I will tell you that my, my life was marked and different from that day. When I was made an associate pastor, the same thing happened. And I believe I received something from Gustavo Paez when I was there. I had him lay hands on me and the power of God hit me. What happened? I'm not 100% sure, but I feel something different. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. All right. All right. Let's look at why God chose Joshua, and I'll sew this up and commission you in Jesus' name. I've listed some scriptures here for you to look at the life of Joshua. I will quickly go through them. Exodus 17. Can I have some keys? Daniel, would you play the keys for me, please? Exodus 17, Joshua was chosen to go out against the Amalekites. Moses needed Joshua's sword. Joshua needed Moses' intercession. This is a multi-generational move of God. It's a beautiful picture working together. In Exodus 24, Joshua, Moses 8. He's Moses 8. He's like the hand washer. Whatever you need, Moses, I'm going to help you. He was just a servant. He was just an aide. Just. Aides, many times, become leaders, become those who are fully in charge. And then in uh, the next scripture there in C, you'll see that Joshua would spend time with Moses and soon Joshua stayed at the tent of meeting and Moses went on. I've seen many times in the church over the years that I've been pastoring a couple decades now, people that linger in his presence. Listen, don't be in such in a rush. So I got a place to go. Okay. But if you always have a place to go and you're always dashing out, you might miss, you might miss what God wants to do at the end of his service. Now it's Sunday mornings. We're limited by time and I'm not going to keep you long. Maybe. I'm going to try not to keep you long. There is something about remaining in His presence. Just play, son. Play. Oh, Joshua. Joshua would go with his Moses as the aid and the cloud, the pillar of cloud would rest upon the tabernacle. Moses would leave and Joshua would stay at the tent. You know what I think started happening? I think the Lord started saying, you know something, I like this guy, Josh. And I think he started staying with Joshua. Joshua started learning his presence, started learning about the Lord. My wife and I, in the early days of when God was raising us up, we, we just learned to submerse ourselves. I honestly, I don't know anybody that's really walked 
in the kind of victory that God intends without submersing yourself. You can't have a part-time. God didn't pick a part-time guy to lead Israel. There are no part-time worshipers. You really want to become all that God's intended for you. You have to get in the word. You have to renew your mind. You have to learn to live it and, and speak it and pray it and act on it and live it. Live it out. You can't be, you know, watching average male six and a half hours of TV every night. You tell me who's discipling you. I only got you for what? Hour and a half? It's an hour and a half right now. And then, can you imagine Joshua? Yeah. Joshua, you going with Moses to the tent? Nah. Nah, I'm going to go fishing, man, but I'm going to go next week. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to empower you and equip you. If you really want to walk in power and victory, which God's plan is, and I'll tell you, once you have a taste of it, once you taste and see, you'll never go back. You ain't ever go back. You will never go back to that pile. What pile? You know what pile I'm talking about. Everybody say, don't go back to the pile. Joshua didn't leave the tent. Wow. Numbers 11. He calls the 70 and they all start prophesying, but two were prophesying that are not, we're not called. And Joshua says, should I stop? And Moses said, no, no. He was learning about the anointing, learning about how God moves. All these things set him up. Numbers 13 to Numbers 14. He brings back a good report with his buddy Caleb, but 10 others bring a bad report. And you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to stone him. But you know what he did? He stood his ground. I mean, that took some courage. And the God said, I'm going to honor you. You're going in. Everybody else gets to die. Old Testament. God's speaking to us very simply, and I want to say this to you. Everything in the life of Joshua worked together to make him a great leader. And I know you've been through some hard things. I know you've been through some disappointments or rejection, perhaps. Maybe you've struggled with sickness or infirmity. Maybe you've had things happen in your home. You say, Pastor, you don't know what has happened to me. No, I, I, I don't. I know some stories, and I don't want to belittle those at all. But I want to also tell you this that God is not the one who came to make your daddy drink and get drunk and come home with a rage of violence. He's not the one that caused your mother perhaps to leave, or maybe you didn't even know your mom and dad. He's not the one that that date night that you went with that young man or that young woman and it went wrong. He, God, that's not God. That's the devil. The devil comes to steal. Listen, make it, make it plain. Don't pin that stuff on God. God is good. Come on, the devil is bad. God is good. And so you, you trust and know that God is good. He said, well, those things aren't from God. No, they're not from God, but God will take those things and he will turn them around and he will raise you up as a trophy of his grace. Somebody who's more than a conqueror, somebody who can overcome, somebody who can forgive, somebody who can walk the walk and talk the talk, somebody who really knows God and is moved with compassion. Oh, as I was around some drug addicts over the, the, the recently, I, I saw that my heart broke. I know what it is to be bound. Do you remember what it is to be tormented? Do you remember what it is to be in a bad marriage and have to work that out? Or maybe to go through divorce? Maybe you're single and you just feel alone. Maybe you feel abandoned and you're single. You don't have to remain that way. You come a part of the family. You get, you get involved. You start serving. God will take whatever the devil meant and he will turn it around. He will turn it around. Say it. He will turn it around. It says in Romans 8 and verse 28, as I preach to you today, let faith fill your heart. He works all things together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So I believe that everything that happened in the life of Joshua worked to make him a great leader because he served God.
because he, he turned it, God would turn it around. And everything that's happened to you, it's not everything is from God, but God works everything for good. And everything you've been through, God will work it for good. I've seen it in my life. And he's, he's encouraging you to say, you can do it. You don't know what's happened. No, I don't, but I know he's the healer. He can do it. everything that's happened in your life. God can use right in your notes to prepare us, prepare us for a special purpose and service for him. And then lastly, uh, penultimately, that means second to last, we're called. All of us are called. The great commission is really the great omission to go into all the world. I challenge you to receive the commission from the Lord, to rise up and God-given, blood-bought right and dominion and begin to be a witness, to be somebody who models what it is to turn the other cheek, to forgive, to pray. We're all called to worship. We're all called to give. We're all called to pray. We're all called to do what God called us to do. God wants to commission this church. As thousands of people come, he's raised up an army, a Moses and a Joshua and everything in between. He's raised up an army and he's calling you by name. Put the QR code up, please, as I close. That's a QR code. Here's how you access that. You take a picture of that and then tap the link. It'll bring you to a place on our website that'll enroll you to get involved in some aspect. You see, my job is not to get, my job as a pastor is not to do all the work. Some people think, well, you get a pastor so they can do all the work. Oh, I'm doing my part, but my, my part, yes, I win the lost, I, I pray, I, I do those things, I'll keep doing. That's what Christians do. As a pastor and my pastoral team, what we're supposed to do is equip you for the works of ministry. My job is to get you moving. That's why I preach messages like this one, to get you to realize that every single human being is commissioned by God, that when He saves you and He fills you, it's for a purpose, it's for a plan. We're gonna reach this state. We're gonna reach this nation. We're gonna reach the nations of the world. We're gonna plant churches all over how? By God raising you up, Joshua. By God, come on, he raised me up. He can raise you up. Come on. Whoa. Lift your hands and talk to God. I'll have the whole worship team now. We need each other, lastly. We need each other. I'm so grateful for my wife. She's amazing. Very happily married. My heart still goes pitter-patter when I see her. I'm in love and I'm never gonna fall out of love. I've made a vow and I'm gladly fulfilling it with the power of the Spirit that works so mightily in me. And you know something that's beautiful? I've been married to be 25 years, and I know that's not 40 or 50, but it is 25, it's not 10, it's not two, it's not five. And I'm seeing the fruit of covenant relationships. You know, we're sending the Haggerty's off, and I will weep and I will shout, and you will fulfill the plan of God. And we're together, we're joined. There's covering, there's relationship a thousands of miles away, but. We're still, we're, we're brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And we're going to pray for them. We're going to launch them. And, and we'll plant more and more church. Somebody said, gosh, we get leaders here and they're only around for a little while and then they leave. I know, we're an aircraft carrier. That's what we do. That's what we do. Perhaps he's trying to get you in one of those planes and launch you. 
Oh, you may not be able to balance your checkbook right now, but if you'll be faithful, you might not even have a job, but if you'll be faithful and you'll learn and you'll serve, God will heal. You might be able to keep a relationship or maybe your marriage is on, maybe your marriage is on the rocks or maybe, maybe you're not married, maybe you're single. Praise God. Rejoice and learn to serve Him with gladness and fear and trembling and fulfill the mandate upon your life individually and corporately. God's commissioning us. Can you say, I'm, I've received the commission. Go ahead, say it. I received the commission. If you do, say it again. I received the commission. All right, check that QR code out. You be a part of something somewhere here, won't you? So that we can have nets to get ready for the harvest. Did you get something from God? Stand up on your feet. Come on, lift your hands to heaven. Come on, just worship God. Come on, worship God all across this place. Church is just about over. Come on. If you're not done that before, won't you do it today? Won't you give your heart to Jesus for the first time? You've never believed on the Lord. You've never, you've never received him. Oh, you believe that he died. You believe that he rose again, but you've never repented of your sin. You must be born again. You must receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There is no other way. Good works can't take you to heaven because you're not good enough. Neither am I. They'll be utterly scorned. If, if someone could earn heaven by doing good things, then Jesus never had to come, but he did. You must be born again of the Spirit. 
you must receive him if that's you you never given your heart to jesus once you do it for the first time or secondly you drifted in your commitment and you want to recommit to the lord you're not as on fire as you used to be you know it and you're recommissioning today you're going to say okay i'm, I'm back i'm going to turn from that I'm going to turn from that habit. I'm going to turn from that relationship. I'm going to turn from that bondage. I'm going to serve God with all my heart, all my mind, with all my soul and all my strength. Nobody moving around. We're almost done. Give your heart to Jesus first time. Number two, make a recommitment. Number three, just to be sure. You're not sure. Devil lies to you. You say, that's me. Slip your hand up now. If you want to be included in this prayer, God bless you. God bless you. My, my, my. God bless you. 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 Wonderful. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Pray this with me, won't you? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin. Wash me, cleanse me, and make me new. And as you rose again from the grave, raise my life up now and use me for the purpose for which I was created. I receive your commissioning and I say yes to your will, to your leadership, to your way. Give me a hunger for your word. Give me a hunger for fellowship with other believers. Break every tie, break every cord, break every bondage and every chain. Thank you for loving me and for hearing my prayer. Lift your hands as a sign of surrender, I pray. Holy Spirit, come upon these. Lord, I thank you that, we, that you've called us at this time to be alive. I pray, raise up an army of leaders at every level, in every mountain of influence for the glory of God. Thank you for calling us to be alive at this time. Now bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us. Keep us and give us peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Won't you put your hands together for God? Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's Word. Thank you again for listening to King's Alaska Podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.